6, if you'll turn there. We've gone as far as verse 6. So we're going to finish this epistle. Paul is concluding his letter that he wrote to the Galatian believers. The emphasis and the theme of this wonderful epistle, of course, is the gospel of grace. And he has been defining it. He has been defending it. In chapter 5 and moving into chapter 6, he's telling them how they can extend grace to others. And we will continue to see that. And then he's going to give some godly wisdom on how we are to live and a very important spiritual truth that we'll look at this morning. But Father, this morning we do come to you and we thank you that we're here. I'm very grateful that um, those who have made the energy, the effort to be here, it's not always easy. Parking in the snow on the curb, having to walk, um, maneuver through the traffic, getting kids ready, whatever it may be. We know that the enemy tries to discourage us, doesn't want us to be here, to be with the brethren. But, Lord, we are here, and so we're grateful for that, that we get to hear your word, the written word of God. God breathed, put to the page. And, Lord, I pray that we would be teachable right now, that we turn our ringers off our phones. We, we want to be free from distractions, and everyone who's tuned in would be teachable. So we just commit this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as he was marveling that they were turning away from the gospel to another which is not the gospel, Paul has been very, very direct, and he's been very urgent in his message to them that they need to return to the gospel of grace. You've been freed from the law. Don't yoke yourself to legalism, which is going to bring you once again into bondage, and the law will not save you because the law never saved anyone. It's God's holy standard, but we don't keep the law. So the purpose of the law was to be a schoolmaster, to bring us to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And as we have seen, he, he would say, cast out the bondwoman. She's not the heir. You have the spirit of adoption where you cry out, Abba, Father. You have been saved by grace through faith, and the just shall live by faith. As we've discussed that quite extensively over the last several weeks, many of you have responded to me and said that it's been such a tremendous blessing. You've expressed how you've been freed from trusting in performance or some law to be justified or to earn salvation or God's approval. And as we saw in chapter 5, as we walk in grace, we don't walk after the flesh. We don't give provision for the flesh. We walk in the spirit. Amen. And we are to walk in love. And as we do that, there's liberty that we have in Christ. We yoke ourselves to him personally. So as we apply grace in our lives, this, this incredible grace, God's amazing grace that has been given to us and bestowed upon us, those of us who come to Christ in belief, that we have been learning as we opened up chapter 6 last week how we apply grace to others, how we apply grace to the one who is overtaken in a trespass, that was verse 1. We apply grace to the one who is burdened, verses 2 through 5, and that's where we ended last week. And as we pick up our text in verse 6, how we extend grace towards the pastor teacher. I need your grace. 
I need God's grace and grace that you guys extend to me. And then in verses 7 through 9, he's going to give godly wisdom as we close this letter. So let's begin to look at Galatians chapter 6 as we finish this epistle. We do read that let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So apparently... As we saw that the Judaizers, those Jewish believers that came behind Paul's ministry and came up to the churches of Galatia and were putting the the Gentile believers in bondage of legalism and you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, they were coming against Paul personally. Not only in the message of the gospel that he brought to them, the truth of the gospel, but they were attacking him personally. And that's a tactic that we see today. If you don't like a message that somebody is giving, you attack them personally. And that's what was taking place with the Galatian believers. And they were holding Paul out at arm's length. And he expressed that in chapter 4. You recall that he would write to them that, Have I become your enemy because I brought you the truth? And he would say that when I first came to you, you received me. You received me as, even as an angel, as Christ himself. You were willing to pluck out your eyes and give them to me. But now you're not receiving me. Now you're not because I give you the truth. So Paul here, as he writes, saying that the pastor teacher who is given the word of God should be supported. And it is Bible teachers that, and commentators that say that the primary meaning here is to giving support uh, financially. But it's not limited just to that. Supporting the one who teaches you God's word. Now, this can be a little bit awkward for me to teach. And don't think I'm teaching this just for my benefit. But this is part of the word of God that is given. And we are told here that if you're being blessed by the pastor teacher to extend grace and support is is to be given to the pastor teacher. I just want to say this, that I am very, very grateful for your financial support. But not just in that, for your prayers, for your encouragement, for those of you who have come alongside and helped in the ministry as the ministry just continues to grow. And I'm very grateful for your support so we can have the other pastors that are here, Pastor Luke and Pastor John, that are teaching God's word during the week. And we never want to take that for granted. And I am very blessed and I am privileged to have the opportunity every week to be behind this pulpit, to teach, the pastor of this church, to be on the radio. And what we're seeing God do is absolutely amazing how he's moving. And, and to be up on the mic, people are getting saved here over the radio. Last week on the radio, somebody called from Texas, and we, I led them to Christ. They were saying, I, I'm you know, keep holding back. I don't know why what's holding me back. I said, today's the day of salvation. Let's pray right there on the radio. And that is worth it right there, one person coming to Christ. For the expense of radio, what we do, being able to to be on 90-some stations across the nation. So thank you for your prayers, your support. Keep praying. Thank you for your support financially. Paul would write to the Corinthians that you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And another reason why this may be just a little bit of a sore spot with some of you because maybe you looked at the, the TV evangelist. You looked at the faith teacher that is ripping the people off. 
becoming very wealthy, plant your seed faith, and they have multi-million dollar homes and airplanes and fine jewelry, and that's all they talk about is give me money, give me money, give me money. And it's sad, the abuses that we have seen, the exuberant salaries that they receive, all in the name of God, taking advantage of people. And it is sad and it ought not to be. And one of the things that we do is to have a very modest salaries that we give to the pastors so they can support their families. But if you're taking in the word, if you're being blessed and fed and ministered to, then Paul says support the one who's feeding you. And I thank you for that. So we can continue to give the gospel and the truth of God's word. And then he gives some very important spiritual principle and truth here in verse 7. He writes, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So this is a spiritual truth, listen, that is for every single person. No one, no one is exempt from this spiritual truth. You will... Not that you might, or it's a possibility, but you will reap what it is that you sow. And just that it is true, we live in an agricultural area here in Weld County, and it's true, the farmer who plants his seed, what he sows, that in due time there's going to be a harvest. So the question for all of us this morning, in the honesty of our hearts, as we go to the Lord, what is it, what is it that you are planning in life? What are you sowing in your life? And whatever it is that you are sowing today, there's going to be a harvest tomorrow. Now, this is a general application. And as Paul writes, he emphasizes, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. If you sow seeds to the flesh, of the flesh you're going to reap corruption. In other words, it's going to be bad news. It's going to be bad harvest. Don't be deceived into thinking that you won't reap corruption if you are sowing to the flesh to send to the world. And it is foolish to think that there will be no harvest if you're sowing to the world to send to carnality. It is foolish to think that there will be no consequences or repercussions for what I sow in life. There will be. And if any of us that we say, I'm just going to go ahead and live in carnality and sin. I'm going to commit adultery, fornication. I'm going to be dishonest. I'm going to lie. I'm going to cheat people. I'm going to live with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. Everybody else is doing it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to be vengeful and get even. I'm going to angry, be angry and I'm going to sin. Don't be deceived. Because whatever you sow, you will reap. And I have talked with many over the years of ministry that were surprised. They, they were, you know, just taken back that they're reaping the rotten fruit of the flesh when they sin. Paul here says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Listen, if you are in sin and you're sowing seeds to the flesh, please stop. Don't picture Paul, you know, as he would teach this with, a, you know, pointing finger and all angry and everything. I believe he's saying this with a broken heart. Don't sow to the flesh. And I believe that is the heart of our Lord. Sin is going to hurt you. 
is going to bound you up and rotten fruit is going to be produced. Listen, if you're involved in sin and God is dealing with you, stop. Because there's going to be a harvest. And there's going to be a reaping. And it's not going to be good. You might be here thinking, well, I I know this person and they're very carnal. They're in sin. They're taking advantage of others. It seems like they're always getting away with it. Listen, no one is getting away with anything. Because Paul writes that God is not mocked. And everyone has the destiny with eternity. A good reference is Psalm 73. I'm going to read some of it to you. And you can turn there if you want or just listen. But it's a psalm of Asap. And this is a psalm that I go to when I feel overwhelmed. When I feel like, how can that person or these people, it seems like they just get away with everything. They're abusing people. They take advantage of people. They're sinning. They're living in sin. It seems like they prosper. Nothing's happening to them. I go back to the psalm of Asap, of Psalm 73. And Asap... He, 3,000 years ago, he was struggling with the same thing, the prosperity of the wicked. But he writes something very important that we need to understand. But I'm going to read from the top of the psalm that truly God is good to Israel, the psalmist writes, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slept, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked." So here he talks about, uh, this stumbled me. When I looked at those who were prideful, those who were, you know, wicked, they were prospering, and it stumbled me. And he goes on and he writes, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They continue to be strong. They're not in trouble as other men. It seems like trouble doesn't come to them, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak proudly. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. So here he is. He's saying that those who do wickedly, that are full of pride, it seems like they're strong. Nothing happens to them. They have abundance. They speak pridefully. They, they speak against God. They just continue on as if nothing happened. They have abundance even. And you might be thinking, yeah, that's that person that seems like they're getting away with that I know or that group of people. And and it it causes us to be stumbled. And and we look at it and we just, what's going on with this, Lord? But then he says something very important. And I want to encourage you, read the whole psalm when you go home. But he writes this. Yet in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. You ever felt that way? Why is it that they're prospering? Why is it they're getting away with everything? Why is it that nothing's happening to them? It's painful to think about that. But verse 17 is the key. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. That they're going to come to the slippery place. That they're going to be cast down to destruction. It's not going to be good. That there is going to be a harvest that is going to come. And as you come into this sanctuary, and as we hear God's word, may we understand this. They're not getting away with anything. 
And as Asaph is writing about the pain that it brings, those who seem to be carnal and, and selfish and abusive and sinful, we're reminded that they're not going to get away with what they're doing. And one day we will all stand together, the book of Revelation says, and we will all say in unison that righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. Righteous and true are your judgments. Right on are your decisions. So as we consider this, listen. There is the law of sowing and reaping. It is true in eternity's perspective. And it is true also in this life. And if you're sowing in the things of the kingdom and you're walking with the Lord, walking after the Spirit, producing fruit in your life, godly fruit, you're giving to the Lord, you're prioritizing the kingdom in your life, you're serving others in love, then good things are going to happen. But if you're sowing to the flesh, any of us, being wasteful, selfish, doing fleshly things, you're sowing seeds of corruption, then you will reap corruption and life will be hard and difficult consequences will follow because that's what God's word says. So none of us be foolish enough into thinking that there'll be no negative consequences if I get involved in sin or react in the flesh. There will be a reaping. No one is excluded from this. It will happen in due time. So a warning is given to us for our benefit. But there's a blessing for those who do good, verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So a farmer who sows his seed then will reap the, uh, that harvest, but it doesn't happen in a day. We know that. We're going to see this spring here shortly that there are going to be those who will be planting the field. And we watch the corn grow. We watch the crops grow over the summer. But eventually this fall, there is a, a harvest that happens. But in the meantime, they have to irrigate. They have to you know, water. They have to uh, work the soil. They have to care for the plants. They have to weed. They, you know, there's, there's bugs and pestilence and all of that. So there's a working of the land. So there, there's a harvest. And it is the same with our spiritual life. We sow seeds of the Spirit. We do what is right and acceptable to God. And we're to have our hearts be like fertile soil, soft towards Him. God would say to His people in Jeremiah chapter 4, that you break up the fallow ground of your heart and do not sow amongst the thorn. Jesus told the parable of the sower of the seed. Our hearts are, are to be a good soil, that the word of God may be planted there and take root there, and we produce fruit in our lives for the Lord. We are to water it with the water of the word, Ephesians chapter 5. So do not grow weary in doing good. In this world and in our lives, we can grow weary, can't we? We get tired. I get weary in sowing seeds, Lord, and good seeds. I get weary in laboring for the Lord, doing what is right. It seems like everybody comes against me. My own kids come against me. I get discouraged. We get mentally fatigued, and then the enemy fights against me. And Paul knows that. And very, very tenderly, he says, don't grow weary. I think about the prophet Isaiah as he writes in chapter 40, verse 31. It's a verse that many of you know. 
But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not fade. You keep waiting on the Lord, looking to the Lord, walking with the Lord. And as you say, I'm going to sow seeds to the Spirit and do what is right before the Lord. As you say, husbands, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loves the church. And I'm not going to be overbearing. And I'm not going to be mean-spirited. As we say, I'm not going to speak corrupt words, but I want to build people up. I'm going to speak what is necessary for edification. And I'm going to raise my children in the ways of the Lord. And I'm going to plant the seed of the word in the hearts of my kids. I'm going to continue to serve others. I'm going to keep close to the Lord and wait on him. I'm going to wait on him, you who are single, that desire to be married someday. I'm going to wait on him to bring me a spouse, a godly spouse. I'm going to do the right thing. And not only trust in you, Lord, but I'm going to just rest in your love, walk in your ways. Help me not to grow weary, don't, to not be faint. So how is it that we grow weary? Well, number one, you can write down if you're taking notes. One thing is lack of prayer. Jesus would say men ought to pray always and not grow faint. Growing weary has the meaning of you're tired you, because you've been laboring. You just kind of quit. You slack off. You don't want to keep moving forward in, in the things of the Lord in our spiritual lives. And you're not praying. You're not going to the Lord. You're not casting your cares upon him. We need to pray. Lord, help me. In the honesty of our hearts, I'm getting weary. I'm getting tired. It's kind of like Peter when he stepped out of the boat. The Lord said, stepped out, and he sank after he got his eyes off the Lord. And all he had time to say was, Lord, save me. And the Lord would take Peter by the hand immediately. He didn't let him just bob up and down, you know, and I'll think about it, Peter. He grabbed that man who was historians called the giant, picked him up and plopped him back in the boat. Keep praying. Keep calling out to the Lord. Even in those times where you, all you have time is like, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. I'm getting weary. We become weary when we're not in the word. No longer having devotions. No longer taking in the word and allowing it to be planted in our hearts. Because the word of God brings strength to us. It helps us to be strong spiritually. Listen, there's no other shortcut to growing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And there's all these, you know, this is what you got to do to, you know, be strong, a strong Christian. Be in the word. Be a man or woman of prayer. Be in the word. And we become weary. Listen, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. When we stop being in fellowship, when we stop being with the brethren, and being prayed for, encouraged, and building each other up as Ephesians 4 speaks about in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another and provoke each other for good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. We need each other, don't we? Because the world's brutal out there. 
Somebody was saying before second service, oh, I got to leave. I want to stay here. I don't want to go out there. I got a rough week going. The world beats us up. And I pray that as we come here, that we would build you up and exhort you and just encourage you and pray for you. We need endurance. We talked about that in our ministry class yesterday. Endurance in ministry. Run your race, as the writer of Hebrews says. He says, run your race that is set before you. Put aside every weight and hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. Put it away. It will weigh you down and wipe you out. And then what you're to do is fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on him. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be in fellowship with other believers. And it will help you in a day that can wear us out and weigh us down. So don't lose heart. Do good to all, he says. A good crop is coming, harvest in due time. And in verse 11, he starts to get personal. See what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And it is believed that Paul's custom that he would dictate this letter to a scribe. He would write down what was said, the scribe. And the, the apostle he'll hear wrapping things up. At this point, I just picture Paul taking the pen from the scribe. And he wrote the rest of the letter himself. Uh, this concluding paragraph. And it could be because of his poor eyesight. Remember, he, he, he had that eye disease that historians believe that on his first missionary journey, you guys would have plucked out your own eyes for me. It could be because his eyesight was bad that he writes in large letters. But I think also he's emphasizing this point as we finish up the epistle, this final emphatic thrust to his message. I'm writing with my own hands. I'm writing in large letters. Verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ for not even those who are circumcised keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh the legalist telling the Gentile believers you have to be cut you have to be circumcised it didn't stop there we know they were saying you have to keep the law of Moses and they give the impression that they're really concerned for you believers they really care about you but their motives were selfish. They would boast how they got the Gentile believers to be put under the law. It would be a good showing in the flesh. They were seeking that they would be a good impression outwardly. They would boast about the number of Gentiles they were winning over to circumcision. But it was taken away from the suffering of the cross that Jesus did. Dying for you and for me. For me. Christ alone providing for salvation. Atonement for our sin. But God forbid that I should boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. You, you legalists like to boast about being under the law, how you put others under the law. God forbid that I would boast in anything in, in me. God forbid I boast in only the cross of Christ, whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, he writes. In the previous chapter, remember, he wrote about having crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I believe Paul is simply saying here that I'm dead to the world. The world doesn't have influence over me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, chapter 2. I boast in the Christ alone, in the cross alone. 
not in my past religiousness. I'm not trying to bring glory to me. It is the power of the cross that has set me free and set every single one of us free. Amen. And how dare any of us stand with the backdrop of the cross and, and Jesus dying and convulsing and, and beaten in ways that we can't fully understand. And he cried out, it is finished. How dare we stand there and say, look at me. Look what I've done to earn salvation. Look what I've done to be holy before God. We boast in the cross. And that's why Paul, when he came to the Corinthians, he said, I didn't come with the demonstration of power of man's wisdom. I came in demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, determined not to know anything among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the cross, folks. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we boast in. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me. He's like, I'm done with these guys. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He was stoned and left for dead there in Galatia. And brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We walk in truth. We walk in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the just shall live by faith. That's the book of Galatians. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we're here this morning and just this powerful, powerful just epistle given to us to free us, to know that it is Christ alone and faith alone. And we do walk in the Spirit, pleasing you and walking with you and sowing good seeds. And as we come to the communion table, we come to the backdrop of the cross, how Jesus allowed his body to be broken and bloodshed for forgiveness of sin. We want to continue in worship and in just awe of the provision of Jesus and the suffering. And Lord, we know that the communion table is for anyone who's a believer. It's not just if you belong to this church, but any believer taken of the elements but if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he's your salvation. The good news is this, that Jesus died for your sins because the wages of sin is death. Every single one of us sin. The law uh, condemns us. But Jesus came. The perfect son of God who died in place of you and for you and took atonement for your sins and he rose again after three days he conquered sin and death and he says to you come today is the day of salvation a church won't save you religiousness won't save you a pastor can't save you it is coming in faith repenting change direction and call out on the name of the Lord in faith that he died for your sins and rose again you can do that right now sincerely. I come to you, Jesus. And I know that I'm a sinner, and I come to you, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. You're the Son of God. Be my personal Lord and Savior from this day forth to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for the spirit of adoption and bringing me into the family of God where I can now cry out, Abba, Father. I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And for all of us here, as we now come to the communion table, that we would just be in a moment of continuing to worship as we hold the elements prepared to take of it together. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.